You are listening to ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals, and welcome to Excerpts from the Podium. Today's topic is focus on ophthalmology and the red eye, part two, types of conjunctivitis. In this excerpt, Dr. Stephen E. Orlin, Associate Professor at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine and the Shy Eye Institute, is speaking from the podium at Prova Education's From Guideline to Practice program in New York City. Let's join him as he discusses the three major types of conjunctivitis typically seen in clinical practice. I'm going to start off by talking about infectious conjunctivitis. I think this is by far the most common form of the red eye that you are going to encounter in your practices, and certainly one of the most common causes of the red eye that I see in my practice. Infectious causes of conjunctivitis include viral, bacterial, and a subcategory, which is very important, of sexually transmitted diseases. The most common form of viral conjunctivitis is adenovirus, although you can get herpes simplex and varicella zoster viruses causing the uh, conjunctivitis. Molluscum is probably the most unusual uh, cause of conjunctivitis, but certainly something that you need to keep in mind. There are a number of bacteria, such as strep and staph, uh, as well as chlamydia, which can cause a bacterial form of infection of the conjunctiva. And the sexually transmitted diseases include HIV, AIDS, gonorrhea, adult inclusion conjunctivitis, and herpes simplex. There are a number of serotypes of adenoviruses. Uh, there are about 40 of them, and a handful of them are associated with eye infections. Uh, we um, loosely subdivide uh, viral conjunctivitis caused by adenoviruses into two kinds. The PCF, which stands for pharyngoconjunctival fever, which is usually caused by uh, serotypes 3, 4, 7, and 14, and EKC, which stands for epidemic keratoconjunctivitis, uh, because uh, it is a disease that runs in epidemic proportions. This disease uh, is spread from hand-to-eye touch, seen commonly in schools, in swimming pools, in places of employment, and it's a highly, highly contagious disease. I think that if you encounter it in your practice, and we certainly do in ophthalmology, uh, we have to close down that particular room that we might be using and have it cleaned out because it's very, very dangerous for us to see 20 or 30 or 40 patients in a day and each have them pass through the same clinical room. And then a week later, we have another 40 patients with conjunctivitis. And one thing that you might uh, not realize, but if a patient is sitting in your waiting room, picks up a magazine, reads it, then puts it down, and then comes into your examining room, and then the next patient comes into the waiting room, picks up the same magazine, reads it, and before you know it, you can have an epidemic running through your clinic. Uh, the primary infection confers lifelong immunity. So what particular viral strain might be causing the infection will not reoccur. But just like with flu epidemics, different strains of uh, the viruses come through on a yearly basis. And we see epidemics uh, once or twice a year that run through our areas, uh, particularly in where I work in Philadelphia. So the basic difference between EKC and PCF is not huge, but PCF uh, is more of a systemic illness where patients have a fever, they have an upper respiratory tract infection with uh, maybe a runny nose and pharyngitis, and usually occurs in young children. EKC is associated with follicular conjunctivitis. Uh, All these patients have a preauricular lymphadenopathy, and that's one crucial differential Uh, that you can use in your evaluation of patients with a dry eye to see whether or not they have a preauricular lymph node. And sometimes they might even have a submandibular lymph node so that you should feel for those because it certainly can wrap up the diagnosis for you. EKC is not that benign a disease, and certainly if any of you have had it, it's not very pleasant. 
you can get hemorrhaging of the conjunctiva, and you can get corneal infiltrates, which can blur your vision. And unfortunately, these infiltrates can last a long time, and they are very, very difficult to manage. Not uncommonly, however, one eye might be less involved than the first eye. And the reason for this is that the patient already starts to develop some sort of immunity to the viral strain, so the infection in the second eye is oftentimes muted somewhat. They have eyelid swelling, and they have a watery discharge. The discharge is critical also in viral conjunctivitis, as opposed to bacterial forms of conjunctivitis where there's a purulent discharge. In EKC, the patients just have a watery, uh, serous discharge. They can also get little membranes of the uh, conjunctiva, uh, which can be very, very uncomfortable. And then lastly, they can get infiltrates in the cornea, which can blur the vision considerably. One important thing that you should do is always retract the lower eyelid because these patients have little bumps in the lower eyelid called follicles. Follicles are little aggregates of lymphoid tissue which are triggered by the viral infection and that again is almost pathognomonic for uh, viral conjunctivitis. The cornea uh, can also get involved in viral conjunctivitis and these start off usually about day three or four after the initial infection with just little, little uh, subepithelial punctate staining on the, on the cornea, which we see when we put fluorescein dye in the eye. And as the week goes by, these infiltrates uh, coalesce in the corneal epithelium, becoming slightly elevated. And uh, because they are elevated, they stain with fluorescein dye, and they cause the gritty foreign body sensation that patients might have with EKC. And as time progresses, these infiltrates then uh, go underneath the epithelium into the corneal stromal tissue, which is the next layer down be beneath the epithelium. And they can stay there for months and months and even years. And if you get a cluster of the these infiltrates within your visual axis, you can imagine how they can blow your vision. And they're very, very difficult to treat. They are very sensitive to topical steroids but you need to maintain them on the steroids, otherwise they come back when you stop them. And you end up chasing yourself around and around in a circle trying to make them go away. In the meantime, they just come back again once you wean the patients off the medication. I do not recommend prescribing antibiotics for viral conjunctivitis. They have no benefit at all. They are costly. And some of the uh, third and fourth generation fluoroquinolones that are oftentimes prescribed can uh, breed resistance and then when you really need them for significant infections such as corneal ulcers, the patient doesn't respond to them. So as a, as a rule, I would just advocate using supportive uh, treatment with uh, cool compresses, which give a lot of symptomatic relief, and use lots and lots of artificial tears for the grittiness and the foreign body sensation. Topical antibiotics do serve a purpose if the patient gets a superadded bacterial infection, which can occur, but it's not that common. And topical steroids should only be used for symptomatic photophobia, where the patients are extremely light sensitive, where they have blurred vision and pain. But I would uh, highly advocate that you do not use topical steroids because they have significant risk of causing vision-threatening diseases and blindness, predominantly cataract formation and elevated pressure with glaucoma. Bacterial conjunctivitis in my practice uh, is probably much, much less common than viral conjunctivitis, although we do see it. Uh, a number of organisms are commonly associated with bacterial conjunctivitis, including staph, strep, pseudomonas, H. flu, and uh, importantly, uh, gonorrhea. The presentation and the hallmark of bacterial conjunctivitis is a purulent uh, exudate. So you have to look for pus. You see pus in the inferior fornix, you see pus caked on the eyelids, and sometimes you see pus just 
all over the lids, which obviously is not a viral infection. And this is something that would be appropriately treated with topical antibiotics. Uh, the antibiotics that we use are third and fourth generation fluoroquinolones, such as Cipro, Moxifloxacin, Gadifloxacin, and Bacifloxacin. They are very, very good antibiotics. They have broad spectrum coverage. And uh, all of these antibiotics, although we use them more for coital infections, are approved by the FDA uh, only for treating uh, bacterial forms of conjunctivitis. If patients are sensitive to the fluoroquinolones, we would use aminoglycosides or trimethoprim and polymixin combination medications. So again, I think there is an appropriate place for the use of antibiotics, but I would reserve that for bacterial infections. Uh, as a subset of bacterial infections, I think it's very important for you to be aware of gonococcal conjunctivitis. And this is very different to uh, what I just showed you. This is a hyperacute uh, infection which happens within 24 hours. The patients have a copious discharge of pus. Uh, the eyelids are swollen. They have pain. They have also preauricular lymphadenopathy. And the conjunctiva is hyperemic and chemotic, which means it's swollen. Uh, the important thing about gonococcal infections is that the organism can penetrate easily through the intact corneal epithelium, causing corneal ulceration. And these patients can melt their corneas and perforate their corneas in a very short space of time and go blind from GC infections. So it's very, very important for us as ophthalmologists to treat them aggressively and also for us as ophthalmologists to realize that even though the eye is infected, it's a systemic disease and requires systemic therapy. Other sexually transmitted diseases that we see in our practice include uh, the big five, uh, chlamydia, both in the neonatal form and in adult conjunctivitis. Again, I'm not an obstetrician or a gynecologist, but you know that uh, when babies pass through the birth canal and mothers are infected with uh, either gonorrhea or uh, chlamydia can pass that infection onto the, onto the neonate. And for this reason, they get prophylactically treated at birth. Uh, in the early days, they used to use silver nitrate, but that's not effective against chlamydia. So now we use erythromycin as a stat dose in newborn babies. AIDS can present with conjunctivitis or with a Kaposi's sarcoma of the conjunctiva. Again, this was their presentation of their HIV disease, not being aware of it uh, prior to this. Uh, syphilis causes more corneal infections, such as uh, interstitial keratitis, but that can also be associated with a red eye. And herpes uh, that we spoke about earlier is primarily herpes type 1, which affects the head and neck area. But herpes type 2, the sexually transmitted uh, form of the disease, can also affect the eye in a similar fashion to what herpes simplex type 1 can do. The uh, hallmark of allergic forms of conjunctivitis are itching, tearing, and eye rubbing. So in your history, those are questions that you have to ask the patient. Do you rub your eyes? Are they itchy? Are they tearing? And invariably, patients will certainly volunteer the itching because that's the uh, most important component of these allergies. Uh, they present with a red eye. They have a mucoid discharge. Sometimes it's stringy and, ro and, and ropey in, in its nature. And they have these bumps underneath the eyelid. Again, just to not to belabor that point, but try and get into the habit of looking under the eyelids, both upper and lower, because you see some weird things there. These patients also get swelling of the conjunctiva, which is called chemosis. The risk factors for allergic conjunctivitis include exposure to environment, environmental allergens, uh, it is climatic and seasonal in nature, so patients who live in hot, dry climates are more at risk for getting this form of allergy, but certainly you can see it in any part of the country. Some people have a genetic predisposition to it, 
and it might be associated with other systemic uh, conditions such as allergic rhinitis with allergies to dust mites, pollens, ragweed, grass, animal dander, and molds. There are a few types of allergic conjunctivitis, and we subdivide it into hay fever conjunctivitis, vernal conjunctivitis, atopic disease, contact lens-induced, and certain drug allergies. A lot of our patients are on drugs for various diseases, such as glaucoma and uh, anything else, so it should be part of your history as to what not only systemic medications, are t um, medications patients are taking, but what topical medications patients are taking. Hay fever conjunctivitis is an acute um, type 1 hypersensitivity reaction mediated by IgE. These patients present with uh, watery, itchy eyes and classically have chemosis. It's swelling of the conjunctiva. So if you see like a little bubble on the conjunctiva and it's not completely flat, it's bulging over the lower eyelid, you have to think of conjunctival swelling. This is not red. In other words, it's not a hemorrhage, but it's more uh, just a, a, a transudate of fluid caused by the allergy. It's also associated with allergic rhinitis. Vernal conjunctivitis is a little bit more complex and uh, more uh, problematic, usually occurring in the springtime. It usually occurs in young uh, male kids uh, with an allergic history. They again have itching, burning, and photophobia. There are two forms of vernal conjunctivitis. It can occur around the limbus, which is where the white part meets the color part of the eye, and we call that limbal vernal conjunctivitis or it can occur underneath the upper eyelid on the palpebral conjunctiva, hence the name palpebral uh, vernal conjunctivitis. If you get a lot of bumps under the eyelid, they can be heavy, they can drag the lid down, so these patients can have ptosis, they have redness of their eye, they have the stringy, ropey, and mucoid discharge, and they have these giant bumps on their tarsal conjunctiva. And if you see it in the limbal form, they can have these limbal uh, papillae around the white part of the eye, which can sometimes have little white dots in them, which are aggregates. We call them horner trantus dots. Uh, the cornea can become involved because of compression of those giant papillae onto the corneal surface, and they get these classic shield-appearing ulcers. Atopic disease and atopic keratoconjunctivitis is the most serious form of allergic conjunctivitis that we see because these patients get significant neovascularization of their cornea, which can cause lipid deposition in the cornea and scarring, which can have visual implications. And they also oftentimes develop cataracts, which may or may not be induced by the steroids that they might need, but can also occur spontaneously as part of the disease. Topical vasoconstrictors are for cosmetic uh, usage only, and they have no bearing or impact upon the um, allergic process. In fact, I don't like to use them for the simple reason is that once the uh, drug wears off, you get a rebound vasodilation, oftentimes more intense than what they had before you treated them. And the patient, again, ends up chasing themselves around and around in a circle to try to get cosmetic blanching of these blood vessels, but it really doesn't do them much good at all. Mast cell stabilizers are beneficial more for maintenance therapy, not for acute management. Um, antihistamines are probably better for that. And topical steroids should, for the same reasons, never be prescribed unless under the supervision of an ophthalmologist. So avoid the allergens as best as you can, and that's where your history comes into play. You take a detailed history from the patient, identifying what they might be allergic to. And oftentimes it's something very subtle that they are not aware of, but you need to delve quite deeply into the history and identify uh, what allergens are associated with this particular inflammation. So how do we manage uh, allergic conjunctivitis? I have the stepladder approach. Uh, depending upon the severity, we use topical antihistamines, 
antihistamines combined with decongestants, mast cell stabilizers, histamine receptor antagonists, steroids, and in the more severe cases, we might have to resort to systemic immunosuppression. Oftentimes, I'll manage these patients in conjunction with an allergist, which uh, will then give me some recommendations and advice with respect to desensitizing allergy shots. This ReachMD program is provided in cooperation with Prova Education. If you missed any of this program or to hear more about Red Eye, please be sure to visit our website at www.reachmd.com and search for programming by Dr. Orland. Thank you for listening.